Welcome to Hear Me Out. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. As we mark the 20th anniversary of George W. Bush declaring mission accomplished in Iraq, we tackle this difficult chapter in American and Iraqi history. Mission accomplished, of course, did not mean the end of the war. Far from it. The war continued for an additional eight years, with many thousands of lives lost on all sides. And even when the American troops did leave, as we've seen time and time again, we left a power vacuum in the wake of the war that led to even more instability. Not many people in the U.S. or in Iraq would argue that any mission was really accomplished there, but there are those who say the war was, in fact, the lesser evil. The fact is that all of those Iraqis who were killed as a result of the chaotic invasion would have been killed anyway. Activist and Iraqi-American Faisal Saeed al-Muttar joins us on Hear Me Out in just a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back to Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. In the Battle of Iraq, the United States and our allies have prevailed. Because of you, our nation is more secure. Because of you, the tyrant has fallen and Iraq is free. On May 1st, 2003, President Bush addressed the nation from aboard the USS Lincoln, an aircraft carrier. And with that infamous mission accomplished banner behind him, the president declared that Saddam Hussein had been defeated and that the U.S. had won the war in Iraq. We had invaded Iraq less than two months before this address on the grounds that Saddam Hussein was supporting al-Qaeda and that Iraq had secret weapons of mass destruction. When Bush gave this address, 74 American lives had been lost in the conflict. We know now, of course, that mission accomplished did not mean the end of our war in Iraq. Far from it. By the time our troops withdrew in 2011, it had become clear that our pretexts for invading were simply not based in reality. 74 service members were dead when Bush declared mission accomplished. But by the time we left, more than 4,000 additional Americans had died in that war. And that doesn't even scratch the surface of the suffering and turmoil and chaos that we know the war caused in the Middle East, the ripple effects of which are very much still felt to this very day. Earlier this year, an Axios Ipsos 2 Americas poll found just 36% of Americans think we were right to invade Iraq. A Pew poll in 2019 showed 62% of Americans felt that in hindsight, the war wasn't worth fighting. Polling only veterans, including those who served in Iraq, yielded similar results. So for most of this country, it is hard to make a case that we accomplished any missions in Iraq, but our guest today thinks quite differently. Faisal Saeed al-Muttar was born and raised in Iraq, and he remembers both living under Saddam Hussein and the U.S. invasion. And he believes the war in Iraq was, in fact, a victory. Faisal is now an activist and the president of Ideas Beyond Borders, and he joins us now. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so your opinion is... As an Iraqi, as someone born there, your opinion is, is that it was good for Iraq? By comparison to the other options that were available, yes, the answer is it's Iraq is better off now, without, even 20 years later, without Saddam Hussein than, than others. And, and one, one important calculation in that space is that all of those Iraqis who were killed uh, subsequently as a result of the chaotic invasion um, is that they would have been killed anyway. Um, Saddam Hussein was in the, in his last years, the last decade, was killing people and chem- utilizing chemical weapons and massacring people by the tens of thousands. So the thing is that, unfortunately, Iraqi lives 
in many cases don't matter. And and in, in this situation is that even though many Iraqis have suffered in, in that conflict, um, and as, as a frequent Iraq now, uh, the frequent visitor, I'm now opening my office in Baghdad, where I grew up, um, is that Iraq is better off um, by comparison. I mean, it's not... Um, so that's that's what I would say is my view. I think that overall Iraqis today are more free. They have better access to inter- internet. They have better access to the fact that these ideas are and they are having, for the first time in Iraq history, uh, we had a peaceful transition of power. Uh, for most of Iraq's history, the king was killed by the socialists and then the Ba'ath Party came in and killed the socialists. And for the first time in Iraq's history since the kingdom and prior to that, the Ottoman Empire, is that now Iraqis are using, utilizing things like democracy and parliament and things like that to to solve disputes, which is in a way might sound like radical compared to to a lot of history. But that's the more you dig into Iraq history, the more you'll see that pretty much every subsequent regime came in as a result of killing the ones that came before them. As a a native-born American, it really strikes me as odd to hear someone say that the Iraq war represents a peaceful transition of power. And and I get that you are coming from the, the your experience in Iraq. So that's what I want to get from you is that didn't seem peaceful at all to me, but you're talking about by comparison. Can you give us, I mean, you lived under Saddam Hussein's regime. Can you give us an idea of what you're talking about when when you talk about the alternative, how, how violent the Hussein regime was and, and his sons, can you explain what you mean? I meant it in terms of the context. So now it was like the current prime minister of Iraq came as a result of elections or actually protests that led to change of prime minister. So I'm, I'm talking about, yes, the, the change of Saddam Hussein was violent, but the fact that now subsequent governments transition powers peacefully. So that's what I meant. I, I, the war was definitely a violent way to, to end. And, uh, um, and also Saddam Hussein was hanged. Uh, so, that, so in a way, he's a continuation of the past of Iraq. In terms of what what was life under Saddam Hussein, I mean the um, the I I know it. I mean to give you an example, as as someone who grew up as a teenager, kind of a teenager, even a child during Saddam Hussein, the two th- stories that I remember the most was uh, my dad was telling me that everything that we mention here at home um, cannot be said outside, especially if it's something related to Saddam Hussein, because it's believed that one out of four people are in the intelligence services. So. Don't trust your best friend. Don't trust your neighbor. You say something bad, not only you disappear, but your whole family disappears. Uh, the second story that that uh, let's say that I remember from living there is me and my dad uh, going up in the roof at two in the morning, um, listening to radio because uh, that was the time in which the signal was good, in which we are able to see to hear things from the outside world. Uh, because the government that if they catch you with satellite television or if they see you listening to radio that is banned, um, the punishment in some cases is is treason and sometimes that can be uh, gone into death. So what is the, the psyche, the, the from the psychological perspective, what Iraq was like is that you are in kind of a constant stage of fear, um, fearing your own neighbors, fearing your own friends, because you might say the wrong thing about the regime and then... Uh, and then you disappear tomorrow. Um, so that's what was life like in Baghdad. So that's where, where I grew up. But the, the, after the war, and I get to meet people from different parts of the of the country, um, they explain about how they used to, um, in Kurdistan, there's an area called Halabcha, in which they woke up one morning, and then there was chemical attacks and helicopters invading their, 
their land and, and killing people by their thousands. Uh, that's something I did not experience. I grew up in, the, in what's kind of a sheltered environment in, in Iraq. Um, so as I mentioned, it's like it's, it's, it was um, there were some people. I mean, that's the thing with, with dictatorships and is that there were some people who are beneficiaries. So when you look at their life, they look like they're living in, in, in Brentwood and Beverly Hills. Like that, that, that was some section of Iraq who were people who were closer to the regime they lived a very luxurious life, but but for the most of the people, uh, they were living under constant fear and um, really under fear that if they say the wrong thing or if they got caught with the wrong thing, they would be dead tomorrow. So I want to play you this comment made by an American veteran uh, nicknamed Wilf, and he was speaking to the New York Times, um, recalling his experiences in Iraq uh, earlier this year. And it was just totally bizarre, just, you know, gunfire everywhere, a couple of RPGs, and I was just thinking, what the f*** am I doing here? <laughs> and that question never went away. I don't know how to explain the war to myself. There was no difference being made, uh, maybe for the worse. So this, and I'm sure you have heard it, is sure. we, yeah, we, this view, certainly in the United States, that we might have made things worse. And we have heard this from intelligence experts who say that the antipathy towards the United States was worsened and strengthened, that we may have actually empowered um, terrorist organizations um, and and possibly helped to even further destabilize the Middle East. What what do you make of that? Um, there is, yeah, there's no denial that some of of that is correct. Think of Iraq as a prison, and Saddam Hussein was that prison guard. And if you get the 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 guards away, then there are people in the prison who are innocent. There are people in the prison who are terrorists and criminals. So as a result of that, when when he was removed, the the people who immediately took over were the mo the most criminal. And in a way, it's like it's it's a mob rule of sort. Um, so that's the, most of the, that claim is 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 true. Is that Iraq was destabilized as a result of um, of the thing, of the U.S. invasion. However, uh, what I think sometimes is ignored is that many of these things could have changed if Iraqis also take the responsibility of building their own country. I just came back from Erbil, and then I would love to to invite the American veteran right now uh, to that area. And, and I can tell him, I can show him the pictures of what it was in 2001 and 2002, and I can show him what is it right now. And he can explain to me if the U.S. war was not a major factor of how these people, after they were liberated from the regime of Saddam Hussein, from the constant fear of being shelled by his, his planes, that they are not better off. It's, it's worth explaining that Iraq is not a monolithic country. So in some areas, what he's talking about is absolutely true. These areas were completely safe. They were completely residential. People were, were to some extent, having a good life. But then the U.S. came in, removed that, that, that regime, and then things got worse for them. But it's not this situation is not worse for all of the country. There are areas that became better because of the war. There are areas that became worse because of the war. All right, we're going to dig into that a little further. We're talking to Faisal Saeed al-Mutar, and we're talking about whether the Iraq war was a good idea or not. This is Hear Me Out, and we're going to hear a lot more. I'm Celeste Headley. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. 
I am Celeste Headley, and we're talking to Faisal Saeed Al-Mutar of the Ideas Beyond Borders organization. Uh, he is an activist who says Iraq is better off because of the U.S. invasion. And, and, and Faisal, I want to dig a little further into what you were saying earlier. You were basically saying, yes, there are areas of Iraq that were destabilized, but the, Iraq is a big country, it is a diverse country, and there are also areas that are better off. Now, I want to play you a comment from a former Iraqi soldier. This is uh, Jebel Abdel Amir, and he was speaking to the PBS NewsHour. The biggest mistake the Americans committed was to dissolve the military and state institutions because those were the ones who controlled the streets and all matters. Yes, it was a harsh system, but a system is nonetheless a system. So you're nodding your head, something that our podcast listeners can't see you doing. But this is a, a really common criticism of the U.S. invasion. Um, not only was it incredibly disruptive, um, but over the course of all those years, a lot of things were destroyed. <laughs> and some of those were infrastructure. What's your response to that? I think that was one of the biggest mistakes the U.S. has done, was dismantling the Iraqi army. Uh, and I like to give some context of why that might have happened. So um, before the war, there was a group of people called the Iraqi National Council, who were mostly living in Virginia and in and, and London, who were, eventually became the Iraqi opposition that formed the parliament. So the U.S. and the Bush administration was trying to, quote, unquote, listening to the perspective of Iraqis, and these people were part of the opposition. These folks who eventually became to the opposition, they have advised the United States that this military is completely sectarian, and it's a representation of the older regime of the people that killed our brothers and children and all of that stuff. Because that's that's the memory of the Iraqis if the, in the south of the Iraqi military. It was a military that invaded their homes and destroyed destroyed some villages and killed a lot of them. So they had a, an extreme antagonism to the Iraqi military before 2003. Um, I think that the United States should not have listened to that advice. So I actually follow what, what, uh, what the, the Iraqi military guy was saying is that, yes, a sectarian old system is better than you dismantle an army and try to create an army from scratch. Uh, many of these people had experience. Many of these people have. We can filter out those who were involved in genocide and those who were not. Um, and and even keep, I mean, to some extent, maintaining the system. I remember the days in 2003 and 2004. I mean, I, I can, uh, with the soldier was saying, the American soldier, American soldiers were in Baghdad streets trying to manage traffic and trying to uh, replace the, the the police and all of that stuff. And, and I was talking to, I remember like a guy from Oklahoma and I was like, what the hell are you doing here? Like, like you are managing the traffic in Iraqi streets. I mean, isn't there like better things for you to do than trying to be involved? And and that is, I, I think that the people who are responsible for the world should be, should be held accountable. And that's one of the mistakes that they have done. I mean, I think I, I definitely don't look at the, the war in kind of a black and white is that it was good or bad. Is it, is that there are were a lot of mistakes and 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 one of and that was one of the major mistakes that the US administration has done. You know, I, I'm trying to understand uh the picture you're you're presenting as opposed to the picture that I have gotten as as a journalist and as an American. 
Um, you know, we were told by the Bush administration that the Iraqis would welcome us as as liberators, liberators right? And I was covering that as a journalist uh, from Detroit, where they have an, a massive Arab American population and a huge uh, number of Iraqi Americans. And they had they were dancing in the streets. I mean, people came out of they closed their stores. I talked to one man who said he was going to name his next child. Bush Solomon, but that changed really, really quickly. And and I wonder, in your view of things being better, is that mostly because of the removal of Saddam Hussein and his family? So, so a context on the Dearborn. I'm, I'm guessing you were in Dearborn, Michigan, and and the people, I was, in fact. Yeah. So Dearborn, Michigan, the, that population is uh, mostly from the south of Iraq. So they came during the 80s, and and they were one of the highly persecuted groups. Uh, and they ended up in Dearborn, I think, because Ford was opening a, a factory and they wanted some workers and then they eventually end up there. So that group of people were definitely sympathetic and they were against Saddam Hussein and all of that. Uh, so so at the beginning, they were really happy. They eventually, there was a, a couple of, of religious leaders that started claiming that they represent these people. And then eventually when the Iraqi parliament was created in 2005, they were leading people to vote for these specifically religious parties. Uh, these religious parties, in most of the occasions, they were not interested in rebuilding the country and all of that. Um, so they were they kept the status quo, if not made the situation for some people worse in both situations. So then the, even the Iraqis start more and more becoming cynical about the whole removal of Saddam Hussein. And some people will say, oh, it used to be better under, under Saddam than not. The fact that people have the ability to say that the things were better under the regime before than than now says that Iraq right now is a much freer country than it used to be. Because under Saddam Hussein, if somebody says Iraq used to be better under the kingdom than it is under Saddam Hussein, this person and his family might all disappear and get killed. So the fact is that now, and I think that's what I say by better. And I can explain why I think that kind of the logic and the philosophy is that I think that in order for the country to be developed, it's a very multicultural, very multi-ethnic. The only way to do that is to have constant civil dialogue and civil debate for us to discover the solutions to our problems by ourselves. And that can be, in my opinion, only be done through a free, democratic, innovative culture. Saddam Hussein was the antithesis of all of that. I mean, my opinion is that do I wish that the Americans would have evaded? The answer is actually no. My answer would have been it would have been much more ideal if people from similar cultures, if there is any kind of democratic liberal Arab country, would have came to Iraq, which is closer in culture, closer in language, and came and liberated us from Saddam Hussein. I would take that any day of the week over soldiers coming from all over the world who didn't speak the language, they didn't know anything, sent into Iraq. So like Iraqis were... The position of Iraqis is that we didn't really choose our invaders. <laughs> so, but so in a way is that we can only look at it from the perspective as which invader would have been worse and which situation would have been. So I, I mostly look at the situation in Iraq is like more about bad and worse than good and bad. And I was, I was talking to a high schooler friend of mine, which I reconnected with. He's like, oh, you know what? Like, we don't have a, a weekly suicide bomber anymore. We only have it like every couple months. So this is kind of the the perspective where more where most people are coming from is that is that they, there were a lot of bad options 
And the U.S. option is kind of the best of the worst option that was available to Iraqis at the time, if that makes any sense. So, <laughs> you know, you're saying, I guess the U.S. isn't the worst of the people that could have invaded. <laughs> um, but what, what if nobody had invaded your country and 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 caused an insurgency and um, ended up blowing up neighborhoods in their attempt to quell terrorist information, et cetera, et cetera. What if that hadn't happened? What if Saddam Hussein had been deposed some other way? I mean, that would be, I mean, I know I'm the one being interviewed, but um, the, if there were other ways um, that Saddam would have been removed, I mean, there was a revolution against Saddam Hussein, one started by the North and one by the South, and that failed. I mean, I mean, um, that would have been the most ideal is that the people from these regions eventually revolt and it didn't happen. And I think that if there was a second attempt, um, it would have been exactly right now what like Syria is. So um, so there are one worse invaders than America, and that's Russia. When we saw we saw what they did in Syria for the uh, uh, for the opposition of anybody who was opposing Bashar Assad, which is the same. It's I know there is a faction of difference between him and Saddam. But the fact is that if Saddam stayed and there was another attempt, it would have looked exactly like Syria right now. Interesting. Uh, I'm, we're going to dig into that just a little bit more um, into what it is that you mean. Uh, but we'll to. take a quick, <laughs> we're going to take a break first. This is Hear Me Out. I am Celeste Headley, and we are talking about whether or not the war in Iraq was a mistake or it was a victory. We'll be back in just a moment. And we're back. I'm Celeste Headley. This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. And with us, we have Faisal Saeed Al-Mutar, who argues that Iraq is better off since the Americans invaded. And before we took a break, you said that Iraq could have ended up looking like Syria does now. I'm going to give you a chance to explain, because that is a quite the comparison Interesting story. When I was in Iraq just a couple of months ago, there were Syrian refugees in Iraq. So in a way is that it tells you everything you need to know about Syria when there are people from Syria being refugees in Iraq. But it also tells says that Iraq right now, with all of its mistakes and all of its corruption and all of that, is still doing much better than Syria. So in a way that, and, and there are even people from Lebanon right now are, because of the economic situation in Lebanon, are moving to Erbil and Baghdad and, and even the South, um, who are who are there for jobs. So um, that's what I what I mean is like in in terms of kind of the context of the region is that if Saddam would have stayed in power and there was a second revolution, which was supposed to happen, what is most likely is going to be is that Saddam would have called for the support of Russia, um, and called maybe for for support of other militants. And when Americans, like when the Syrian civil war and others were happening, and there were a lot of people saying, oh, we don't want another Iraq. I understand. I mean, Americans, they had limited intelligence, and they went for it. Um, and some of that intelligence I mentioned to you about the Iraqi opposition who was telling um, Americans that everybody would welcome you in, with the flowers, and you're going to be viewed as liberators. Yeah. Well, no, the answer is actually no. Some were pro-regime who hated America, and some were anti-regime who some of them love Americans, some of them don't. That is the, the nuanced kind of segmentation of the Iraqi population. 
what was dreamt about of what Iraq should have looked like in 2003, most of these things are never straight line. Um, even including what's what, what's happening all over, even in Ukraine right now. I mean, I mean, if Putin is gone, doesn't mean Ukraine is going to be a prosperous country afterwards. I'm so glad that you mentioned Ukraine, Faisal, because the, I think one of the biggest reasons that the United States has no boots on the ground in Ukraine, I think one of the biggest reasons that other nations, um, even in Europe, are hesitant to send in their own soldiers is the cautionary tale that is Iraq. Yeah. And, and to be fair, Afghanistan. Yeah. That um, Iraq was seen as such a failure of diplomacy, such a failure of intelligence, such a failure of management um, that now nations, understandably, are much more hesitant. Instead, they're sending military support. And perhaps that's something that the U.S. should have done in Iraq instead of invading. But it's so difficult for me I support that. I mean, I, I think I think if in, in some areas of Iraq, especially the northern Iraq piece, and the U.S. has imposed a no-fly zone on that area since 1991, uh, yeah. I think more actions of that sort uh, could have led to the topple of the regime. I mean, the 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 ultimate goal of removing the regime, um, I don't think that the war was the only one that could have achieved it. I 100% agree with that. The truth is that by comparison, Ukrainians, number one, they actually know what democracy is and they know what they are fighting for. There is some truth to be said about Iraqis is that Iraq had a history and as a country, it never had a democracy. So you have an entire population that never really understood democracy. So, so in terms of examples, I mean, if you're going to do kind of cost-benefit analysis and I'm the U.S. administration... If you ask me, would I rather support the Ukrainians right now or the Iraqis? And I would tell you, go to the Ukrainians. I mean, and that's that's a fact. Ukrainian as a population wow. okay. has much more interest in these ideas than Iraqis have. So, so I think is that in the global stage, there can be arguments that some countries are more willing to fight for their values than Iraqis are. However, the Iraqis more and more, I mean, with the 2019 protest and others, especially within the younger generation, who are... I would say the beneficiary of a freer Iraq because of the war, they are now, because they are connected to the internet and they know what's happening outside and they have a, a passport that they can actually use to travel outside the country, they have much more exposure and they want, they go to Dubai and they go to Istanbul and they go to other places and they're like, we want that at home as well. So we have a generation, a new generation who most of them lived most of their life after the war are definitely have much more freer mindset than my parents' generation or the ones before. It may not surprise you at all to know that I remain unconvinced by Faisal's arguments. I mean, on one hand, his portrayal of what has improved in Iraq compared to what it was while Saddam Hussein was in power, I have no argument with that. Why? Because he's the expert and I am not at all. I've never been there. Coming from an American point of view, was it a mistake? I, it, that's very hard for me to say anything, but yes. But I gotta say, hearing his perspective, especially because it was so different from my own, is really going to influence my thoughts about Iraq and everything I read about Iraq going forward. So I, 
I want to say thanks once again to Faisal for sharing his views and for joining us today. We know this was a thought-provoking conversation for me. If it was for you too, and you have thoughts that you want to share with us, you can now email us. It's hearmeout at slate.com. Whether you have an opinion about Iraq or any of the issues that we have tackled on this show, maybe you have an idea for a challenging opinion that you want us to tackle. We would love to hear from you. And again, our email address is hearmeout at slate.com. Hear Me Out is a podcast from Slate. The show is produced by Maura Curry. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations. And Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. I am your host, Celeste Headley. So until next time, please speak your mind, but keep it open. Keep it open.